everybody. Welcome to the poetry space. I missed you all last week. Well, except Tim, because Tim was right there. But everybody else, everybody else I missed last week. Thanks for jumping back onto this train with us. I'm really excited to talk about Hyben today. And I'm going to invite a couple speakers and really get into this. I've read so many Hyben in the last couple of weeks because we were at the Haiku conference where there were also a lot of Hyben, as it so turned out. And let's see if it's allowing Tim to become a speaker on the third attempt of the request. Hey, Tim, can you hear me now? Doing pretty good. Got a double espresso over here. So. <laughs> That's a coffee update you always get. I've got one too. I've got my uh, my Americano going. So let's, uh, do I, should I start out with the opening poem? Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, so we were, as you know, in uh, the Haiku North America conference last week. And there was a presentation on Hyben, and Lou Watts shared this uh, this one, uh, which I thought was a great example of of how Hyben works. So when you get to the uh, when you hear the haiku at the end, uh, listen for how much it jumps and the kind of the shock. Be prepared for that. Anyway, this is called deposition. Help yourself, the quarryman says. Steve saunters over to the dark layer, then motions for me to come. This is indeed what we've been looking for, the Sandwick fishbed of Divinian age. The rock splits easily, and we find fragments of the armored fish, Cocustus, and, and an occasional fin. We note a sheen preserved on many split surfaces. This is primary current lineation, caused by the alignment of tiny mica flakes as water sloshed across the ancient lake bed. The sheen marks the orientation of the paleo current, but not its direction. Suddenly, I hear a yell. Steve has found something. There, in the middle of a large mica sheen surface, lies a complete osteolapis. The fossil fish appears perfect, though one scale is missing. Nine inches away, along the primary current lineation, we find it. Where she was found, my mother's head pointing against the tide. That is Lou Watts' poem, Deposition. And that, of course, is a hyben. So, Katie... Do you want to explain what a hyben is? I would love to because my mom is listening to me, so that makes it extra exciting to be able to explain a hyben. So a hyben, in rough terms, is just three pieces, a title and then a prose section and then a haiku at the end. Now, of course, there are many variations of that. You can have multiple haiku within a hyben, but in rough terms, that's a good way to just think about how, how it's going to look on the page in that form. And Oftentimes the prose, you know, started out as kind of a travel journal. And that's how I like to think about it when I myself am I'm writing a hyphen is to get into this kind of mindset where you're in that total like observer mode is a very common thing. One thing I really like about hyphen is you don't tend to see like political poems try to, trying to sneak their way into hyphen. It's really sort of the way I approach writing poems in general in a hyphen anyway, which is really observing and then the haiku allows a spark, as Lou Watts was talking about at the haiku conference between the two, such that you jump into a whole new meeting, which is part of why I love Hyben so much. Yeah, and what I really love about it, you know, I like uh, thinking about the fractal nature of reality, <laughs> as the book American Fractal going into that. And and I feel like the Hyben is a fractal expanding outward from the uh, haiku itself, you know, because it's almost like a you think of a fern unraveling, you can kind of see the shape of a hyphen like that with the, the haiku, the sort of infinite regression down at the bottom of the earth of the ferns 
the ferns branch where it gets smaller and smaller, you know, it gets tighter and tighter and tighter. And that's how it kind of works. But as you, you have a, a cut is the sort of the central characteristic of a haiku where you're combining, you know, two worlds in one breath, as we like to say. Um, and then you have that same kind of thing, that distant cut of some kind between the haiku and the prose, and then between the title and the prose and the haiku. And so you have this sort of haiku that's like scaled up from a haiku. Like it's like it adding another dimension to the haiku. So it goes from like a two-dimensional surface to a three-dimensional surface with the haiku. And I think that's really cool. I love that. When you were saying that too, I got the image that flashed in my head. I don't know why, because I'm in Houston and it's like over a hundred degrees here. But I got the image of a frozen pond as the prose section of a hyphen, and then the haiku kind of smashes it, and then you see, you know, the the ice spreading in all directions and cracking all through the frozen pond. That's kind of how how I feel about it too. It's a really exciting form for me too. It also kind of calls to into my mind the idea of a volta with a sonnet, where the volta takes off from the rest of the sonnet, and that's how I feel about the haiku doing for the prose section of a hyphen. Yeah, and it is such a big uh, a leap in that if you look at that Lou Watts poem we talked about, you know, deposition, which makes you think that's the title. And it makes you think of, um, to, for me, like taking a legal deposition or something, but also depositing layers. So it has that that kind of dual definition to it, too. And then you get this prose that's kind of flat and telling this little story that's like might have been someone's scientific journal or something or some kind of memoir of an archaeologist or something like that, or geologist. And the, the tone is complete, you know, a certain way. And there's nothing really personal about it. And then you get this really deep, you know, profound emotional release all of a sudden that seems like it comes out of nowhere. Where she was found, my mother's head pointing against the tide. And you realize that, you know, the mother drowned. And, and I guess um, Lou Watts mentioned his mother drowned when he was uh, a young and, uh, and so the, that sudden jolt of that um, is, is something that's really powerful to me. And I think it's a perfect example of how a hymen works. Um, and, you know, we talk a lot about the way that, that you know, the, the poem makes, gives you goosebumps. It makes the hair stand up. It, it, there's like a sort of a lightning bolt in your brain, which is really the, the right brain and the left brain coming into cohesion about a concept and, and realizing the same truth for the first time. And, you know, so that happens between uh, the the prose and the and the haiku in a really profound way. So it's it ends up being a really easy form to write, but a really powerful and profound form that that has that opens itself up to so many possibilities. I think it's a great form for uh, introducing people to poetry in the first place, which is one of the things I love about it. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I am very curious to hear from Dave Bonta, who is kindly joining us, because. Not only does he have a book of Hyben called Fail State, Failed State, but he also makes them into films and also hosted a film festival at the Haiku North America conference. So, Dave, are we correct in what we've been saying about Hyben, or do you disagree entirely with us? No, I... I for, first of all, can you hear me okay? This is my first time using space. Yes, we can hear you great. Great. Um yeah, no, I, I think, um, you know, Tim, Tim and you have summed it up fairly well. I mean, I, I'm not, of course, I'm not, you know, Roberta Beery or, or uh, Rich Yeomans or, you know, who've just come out with this, along with Lou Watts, this new handbook, which I have to say I haven't read yet because there were only so many copies of the conference and, and other people snatched it up before I got to it. But, um, 
so yeah, I mean, my sense of it, it it's a, um, it, it, it's like, it, it's a state change. I, I guess to use another sort of sciencey metaphor, uh, from the prose to, to the haiku. And, and that's what I like about it, but it, and, and it's becoming very popular. And the thing I think one point to make about it is it's really caught on with the, the largest single, you know, most dominant prior of poets, the academic, um, for lack of a better term, uh, you know, academic mainstream uh, lyric poets uh, have really adopted Ibu in a big way. You can see journals that, you know, snoodly refuse to consider individual haiku as submissions will publish Highland and so forth. But um, the thing that, and, and Tim mentioned it's an easy form to write. Yes, it's an easy form to write if you know how to write haiku, which are actually really difficult in, in, in a way. You know, I mean, it's, it's easy to write a good haiku, but it's really difficult to write a, a very good haiku. You know, I mean, that, that, that difference is... Um, it, I, I don't know. I mean, it, because there's nowhere to hide, obviously, in a haiku, among other things. It, it, it's um, and and so this notion that the, the 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 problem then comes in with with, with the the academic mainstream is that they think they already know what haiku is, you know, because they have degrees that, that say they you know they know what poetry is, and haiku is presented in every poetry class as like a beginner, easy thing to do. So, you know, it just, it pains me to see, you know, really good high boon that are like really good prose and then with a haiku that makes you kind of, eh. <laughs> so there's a long-winded way of, I really want to endorse something that, that um, either Richard or Lou said at that panel discussion at the conference, um, our panel discussion on high boon, which is that a high boon is only as good as its haiku singular or plural haiku. Yeah, that's uh, something that I, you know, do reading submissions. We get a lot of uh, hyphen submissions. I mentioned this last time when you talking about haiku, but um, when I get a submission of a hyphen, I just read the haiku first. And if the haiku sucks, then there's no point in wasting my time reading the prose. Um, and so it's kind of a quick shortcut because it really, if, if the haiku doesn't work, it doesn't work as a hyphen. And that goes back to something too, Dave, you're talking about um, you know, how people don't know the haiku. I don't know if we want to get on this tangent, but it was interesting. I was talking to someone at the conference. I can't remember who. Um, and they, do you remember Katie who we were talking to? But, but he, he was talking about like letting people's bad ideas about haiku go and sort of accepting that the mainstream isn't going to understand haiku. And I completely disagree. I think the mainstream conception of haiku is not only wrong but just so lame haiku is so much more fascinating than that and so we had a couple experiences just recently where we you know got to tell people um, including at the conference uh, those drummers remember at the uh, at the table we were at for the banquet <laughs> we got to teach them a haiku and teaching about real haiku um is a really wonderful thing it's such a powerful fun form and if you just explain it right it doesn't take much explanation people get it right away. They just, you have to explain how it actually works. And that's, uh, that's kind of all there is to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think we should go. I have to tell that story briefly as an anecdote of us onboarding the, the drummers at the, at the conference banquet. <laughs> it's pretty amusing. 
So the whole thing was, so Tim and I, admittedly, we arrived like three minutes late and everybody was already seated at their banquet table. And we're like, oh man, no, we're late. And we didn't know where to sit. And there was one table at the front that was completely empty and we didn't know where to sit. And so we're like, okay, well, eventually we'll sit there. And so we sat down and then there was this amazing Japanese drummer. I wish that drum, I wish I could tell you the name of this art because I'm sure it has a wonderful, beautiful Japanese name for this art form of, of using drums together as a group. Anyway, so it was a beautiful display. And then afterwards, it turned out they were joining our table. So I felt like super lucky because we're sitting by these awesome musicians who just gave this performance that was so from their heart. It was really beautiful. Um, but they sat down and then they were like, hey, what is this? What are, where are we? What's going on? And so Tim and I went into our no 575 haiku speech. And then pretty soon, the drummer by Tim's left was reading him a poem that he thought was a haiku and we were talking about <laughs> how to actually make that into a haiku and then uh, there was a display of the haiku that were chosen to be on a, an actual trail around the Cincinnati area from the conference and so they were like oh so that those are haiku and they really by the end of it I think they got it and they got more than just their creme brulee don't you think so they they really did, and the uh, I can't remember his name, but the drummer, the the tall, the gong guy <laughs> next to us, he was he was writing some, um, and, you know, taking uh, pictures of the haiku from the the trail uh, photos, and then uh, writing some little notes of haiku in his own. And then they, they looked out of the corner of my eye like real haiku, like he got it right away and was really interested in it. And it took you know three minutes to explain, so I don't know why we don't really have a. Um, a focus on explaining haiku to as many people as possible. And every time we see someone doing a five, seven, five thing, that's not haiku at all. Just shout them down and say, that's not haiku. Don't be afraid to, to tell them because the truth is so much better than the, uh, the bad lesson from elementary school. Um, hey, hey, Katie, when you, uh, can you add Joseph Sever, uh, Severino? Um, he is uh, the poet that we had uh, or Aversano, I mean, sorry, Aversano. He was the poet that had a whole bunch of the Hyben at the Hyben Film Festival, or, or his one Hyben had a whole bunch of films written after it. So he should be a speaker too, I think. Yes. And I, I'm, I can't be co-host, so I can't, I can't add him myself. I'm so glad, yeah. I mean, I was just reading, I was just looking at some of the films from the Hyben Film Festival today, and some of my favorites were, you know, the ones with him having written them. So I just added you... Joseph, I invited you to speak. And so if you want to speak, then you can just accept the speaker invite. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, you do have to be in the uh, in the app, the Twitter app, to be able to speak. But there's a question from uh, Dick Westheimer in the comments, and he wondered about the pros. He says, uh, I don't know where it went, but he says, um, can you talk about the pros, um, the craft of the prose part? Does it follow poetry's attention to music, image, and metaphor? And And I'd say my opinion of that is that it has to be engaging. And so, you know, usually follows the quality of engaging writing, which is, you know, having a lot of images, being concrete, not being sort of rambling and abstract. Um, you know, just, it should hold your attention in some way. That's, that's what I would say. Um, but I wonder if Dave has any opinion about the prose or, or do you, Katie, that you want to share? Because I, I think with, with all poetry, I think the currency is attention. And if you're writing some kind of long, rambling, non-poetic, uh, piece, then it's not going to hold anybody's attention and they're not going to get to the, the haiku at the end. But but what do you guys think? Well, my answer is probably shorter and less interesting than Dave's, so I'll go first and then allow him to inevitably expand on what I would say, which is when I was reading a bunch of Hyben for this, one thing that stood out to me is definitely they tend to be imagistic prose, and I think that that works 
uh, really well within this sort of scientific looking at things level, which is the hive and the I tend to like the best tend to be using that sort of thing. So it's like, you know, a description of images that is, you know, not overly flowery, not trying to sound like a poem, which I think is one of the worst things you can do in a prose poem period. Uh, but or, any poem, of, or any poem. Yeah, you don't have to put that qualified. I think it's even worse than prose poems, though. I actually think it's even worse when that's going on. But I would say that. But I'd be very interested to hear what they think. Well, um, I'm not sure I have any profound insights again, but, but just, uh, you know, I, I mean, so much, so many of us have been so much under the spell of, of translations of you know, travelogues from the Basho school. And in, in, in the Japanese tradition, travelogues are, you know, one travelogues and diaries are the, the lyrical prose forms that have, that have most, you know, gotten the most attention um, and have had the most, the most impact. Uh, and um, so my, but that's just, you know, that's just the, the tradition. And, and I don't think there's anything, there's anything sacred about the tradition. You just, you know, you have to know it, but, but then we can, we, we can leave it, but we can get beyond it. But there is something to, and, and here I, I have to, I have to mention that I was a comparative literature student at University Lodi's many decades ago. So, so, you know, studying Japanese and Chinese. So that's, kind of where this is coming from if I start getting too professorial just just cut me off but um the the I don't know so the feeling of of a collection of of, of a number of things or you know lists or or um uh, what's the word I'm looking for a, a, those kinds of those kinds of patterns that that the Japanese tradition have given us do prepare me to be more receptive to, um, you know, a, a travel-like montage. But there are many other sorts of prose that work equally well. You know, I mean, if you're if you have a really powerful haiku and you know it's at just the right oblique angle to the prose, you can get away with the driest material. You know, I mean, trusting in your audience to have enough patience and depending on the medium, whether it's spoken, whether it's on the page, you know, I mean, I think these are the, the shorter sort of high boon are they're very disarming. If it's good prose, um, it's it's a way to slip poetry into your regular Facebook or other, you know, social media platforms to share with friends and family. And, you know, if they don't, if, if they don't know what it is, that's fine. But but I don't know. I'm just rambling here. But that's that's kind of some ideas off the t off the top of my head. Yeah, that's a really good. It's a really good point. And and looking back, you know, I think that maybe something that would make sense at this point would be to look at a very early Haydn from Basho, and then we'll have a frame of reference for looking at these more modern Haydn as a way to go ahead and do that. So I've pinned it to the top, and. Sebastio is, for those who don't know, probably the, the most famous haiku poet of, of all time. And I think it's fair to say that he coined the term hyphen because the first reference that they found of the term hyphen being used was in a letter Basho wrote uh, to one of his disciples in 1690. You guys can see I've been on Wikipedia in preparation uh -huh. for this face now, so I feel proud. So what I'm going to do, though, is 
Ooh, I'm going to turn off my mic. That's what I'm going to do, apparently, right in the middle of speaking. I'm just going to read from um, what I pinned on the top and one of the most famous um, Haiben Baiba show, which translates to, and I, I'm sorry, my pronunciation of Japanese is so embarrassing. I love Japanese culture and I'm so fascinated. There's really no excuse. I need to actually learn how to pronounce things uh, in Japanese. But for right now, I will say it translates to uh, the narrow road to the deep north. And I'm just going to read actually the uh, last prose stanza and then I'll read the haiku that follows it. So this is just an excerpt. Uh, so this is translated by Donald Keem. I patched my torn trousers and changed the cord on my bamboo hat. To strengthen my legs for the journey, I had moxa burned on my shins. By then, I could think of nothing but the moon of Matsushima when I sold my cottage and moved to Sampu's villa to stay until I started on my journey. I hung this poem on a post in my hut. Even a thatched hut may change with a new owner into a doll's house. So that was kind of where we started at as a, a basis for, for hyphen. And wow, we've come a long way. You know, the distance between that and the Lou Watts poem that was Tim's opening poem in this episode, it's pretty amazing, you know, how far a form can, can move in like 350 years. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's just, there's so many opportunities with this that, um, you know, it's, it's worth it to try so many different ways. There, there are a whole bunch of experimental types too, which maybe we'll talk about later. I was thinking maybe I would read one of my own two for the pros of it. I didn't link this anywhere. Um, but um, I remember when I wrote this one, this was like, I don't know, six months ago or so, or maybe longer for the Rattlecast. It was one of those. And um, I remember thinking like I could, the prose could have been a poem but it's just a just prose and then having the haiku expands it so much. And so, um, so, so take a listen to how the prose, cause you can't see this. Um, imagine that this is just a poem and then, uh, and see how the, the haiku lets it take off into something way better than just the regular poem, which would have been fine is. So this is fake news. 40 something. And it's come to this Googling four leaf clovers. Are they real? I wouldn't be surprised. So much is myth, and so often a lie makes the better one. You want luck, son? Go find it in a field. Spend your long life looking for the shortcut. Nose to the mud we do. But it seems they are real, the clovers. Not only fours, but fives, fifteens. The record is 56. Can you imagine 56 leaves on a single stem? But of course you don't have to. You can Google, then wonder too if it's photoshopped. And of course they've been bred by now, and of course engineered. Whole farms grow nothing but four-leaf clovers. You can buy them on eBay. Your good luck forever locked in glass. Four dollars plus shipping. Someday it might be three leaves that's rare. It will be someone's job to trim them. Our whole team, knees wet in the spring grass, outfielders earring. So, um, so that, you know, the, the pro section is kind of a poetic daydream or something or just sort of you know mind wanderings that, that could form a poem you know but then the haiku takes it in a wholly different direction that undercuts that and slices it out of that space into another one and so you get this big bridge uh, which is what a haiku does you know the haiku has that leap across time and space and the haiku you know, at the end of a, of a pro section does the same thing where you're sort of set up it's like a Another thing, it's like the float like a butterfly, sting like a bee kind of thing, you know, or the rope-a-dope. You're just kind of waiting, waiting, waiting. So nothing's really happening. Then, bam, all of a sudden, I don't know, you're, you're someplace else. And it's this disorienting feeling that I think is the most powerful effect of a hybrid. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it, it's, 
you know, when you're reading a lot of Hyben, it then sets up the expectation that you're going to go somewhere. And that's maybe why it's my favorite form to read, because I expect, you know, it's very laid out that it really has to go somewhere with the haiku in the end. And sometimes I feel like there's almost an ex like people forget when they're writing free first poems more so some of the time where there's not like it built into the form that it is going to leap and go somewhere, which is part of why I like sonnets so much too. There's the expectation built in that there will be the Volta and it will go somewhere. And so that's why I find it. Uh, also, you can read the ending first. So you know it's going somewhere you like, as Tim has said, where he reads the haiku first when he's judging Hyben all the time. So that's a, another really cool thing about Hyben as well. Yeah, and I don't know if you remember the talk uh, Jennifer Hamburg gave in her little section of, of uh, experimenting in Hyben at the conference, but uh, she was focusing on how it's sort of, um, I can't remember how she phrased, I just have the image in my head of, um, of dissecting something out of the narrative. So you kind of imagine like we're living in a linear space where time's progressing, then all of a sudden like a god or an exacto knife picks you up and cuts you out of that narrative and plops you somewhere else. And, and that's the effect that, that, that she mentioned is going for is that having that, you know, that, that sort of set up of the narrative and then bam, you're in a totally different place, which is of course the same thing a haiku does once again with the, you know, ancient pond frog jumps into the sound of water, you know, that, that ancient pond living forever in the stillness. And then the one plop, the sound that you see before you hear, which is sort of the whole thing, a metaphor for poetry in a haiku and what we're doing, but that's a metaphor too, for the, um, for the way a hyphen works because the, it's like that ancient pond is that smoothness of the prose building up this narrative and all of a sudden the plop happens where you're somewhere else in time fixed in space in a different place and it's that that sudden disjointment that sort of snaps you into some kind of um i don't know like like psychic cohesion for the first time about the topic that you're talking about and i think that's how all poems operate but it's really clear in, in haiku and hyphen especially uh, it's sort of like the scaffolding is there for that effect to be uh, put in place. Yeah, I mean, most traditional poems only have the title versus the body of the poem itself to cut into each other. But when you add the haiku, it's sort of like the, the poem itself of a hyphen, it really exists in the space above where the three are colliding and intersecting in this really interesting way. And it's not just like, oh, it's the body of the poem. That's where the poem is. Um, in, in most poems is how I feel about it. It adds a whole nother point of intersection and from that, you know, multitudes. Yeah. Hey, Dave, do you, uh, do you have a, a hyphen there ready you could read? Um, I love the one with the electric fence at the end, uh, but if, if you have something else, just for more examples, uh, I'd love to hear one. Okay. Um, you know, you don't have to put me on, but I did also want to, um, I have permission from, from Joseph, who's here, Joseph Aversano, the author of that pipeline that got adapted by five different um, filmmakers. <laughs> I, I have permission from him to share uh, some of his, his reactions to those films that, that he sent in an email this morning. Um, if, if you'd like me to read that as well, uh, um, maybe we can segue into that. Yeah, I was thinking, because I want to make sure we talk extensively about the, the Hyben Film Festival, too. I was hoping to first okay. hear some of your personal poetry, but I'm so excited that Joseph right. is here, too. That's great. Yeah, and I think we should hear, you know, hear, let's see, hear one of yours, Dave, too, and then, uh, and then Joseph's, and then talk about film. I think that's the best progression. All right. Uh, well, let me, um, rather than doing the sensible thing and, and read something that I, I has been around for a while and know is good, I'm just going to read something that I wrote, like, the other day off my phone. <laughs> because uh, it feels like a more Twitter thing to do. 
Yeah, that's perfect. Uh, let me see. Um, uh, okay, uh, I'm calling this one Folk Horror. Well, uh, let me sit up straight and read this proper. Well, the bad news is there's a glowing skull hovering at the edge of the woods. The good news is it isn't looking our way. While I was writing that last sentence, a firefly attacked my screen. Whether out of rivalry or lust, who can say? He's now clinging to my shirt, right above my ticker, making a brief statement in the language of light. None of this means anything, I'm sure. At least, not in the long run. You make your bed, my grandmother used to say, and you lie down in it. No longer playing dead opossum. Yeah, that was great. Thanks for sharing that, Dave. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And then the the haiku, of course. Make, you know, everything we've been saying uh, works on that on that hyphen. Yeah, and thanks for sharing something new. I love it when people share things like that they've just written recently. I think that that was great and really exciting. So thanks for sharing that with us. You bet. Um, yeah. Now I, we I, can. Well, I can, I can read Joseph's email. I'm just trying to think. It's actually harder to come up with the text of his of his uh, haiku because I was not smart enough to, or his haibun because I was not. Smart I have that to actually. I have the hyphen that in front of me, if he's okay. But will you first tell us, because I think uh, not a lot of people here are familiar with the Hyphen Film Festival, and could you tell us just a little bit generally about that and what you did at the Haiku North American Conference? Okay, sure, yeah. It was uh, Jennifer Hambrick's idea. She was the other, other panelist who, who Tim was just talking about. Gave an excellent talk, by the way, um, which I'm sure I copy of because I was all sleep-deprived in the day. But... Um, she and Jim Cation, uh, the uh, editor of, of Red Moon Press, took upon themselves to judge a highboon contest, um, which they announced through the Haiku Foundation, I think. But anyway, back in last August, and um, it was all, all anonymous submissions, you know, uh, uh, which is kind of the norm with, with the Haiku community, I believe. And, um, and then the winning poets because you know that we wanted to preserve their ability to you know send these poems out for publication elsewhere if they weren't used so we put it up on a on a private page on the moving poems magazine site you know password protected so you know people would go read but it but they wouldn't get picked up by search engines or whatever and um you know just gave filmmakers car punch we announced it um in i forget the exact time frame last fall filmmakers had many months and I didn't actually lean on anyone I knew, which I could have done uh, I, as many years, after many years of doing moving poems, I have a lot of filmmakers, but I was just curious to see what would come in and what came in were, you know, a bunch of films, five of which were using this one high balloon by Joseph Alvarezano, one of the shorter of the bunch, but I don't think that's the main reason um, why they, why they chose it. But, he said um, in an email last night, uh, thank you, Dave, for sending me both the links and your synopsis of the screening. I was enchanted by all nine films. It was now quite apparent how the high balloon film and the short film, how the high balloon form and the short film were actually always meant for each other. 
It's ironic that just once before I showed my high school students multiple film adaptations of Raymond Carver's very short story, Little Things, a story we had gone into in class. I would never have guessed I would soon be seeing multiple adaptations of my own writing. The films of Janet Lees and Peter Johnston each had me in tears, as each in their own way had got the exact spirit of the poem and managed to strike a powerfully moving chord. And I swear they also significantly improved upon the original text in more ways than I can go into here. And in McCabe's, that's Marilyn McCabe's gem of a piece, it was good to see a still frame of mountains from my home state that figured in my childhood. Her decision to cut up the line of verse and leave it unread while the prose was being read aloud was just brilliant. Meanwhile, Betsy Gurdis's glitchy soundscape and imagery, and also, for that matter, the nostalgic glitchy ambience in Johnston's footage, called to mind the sort of ambient music I used to produce under the moniker Beer Static, and it was released by an independent label in Berlin. She apparently could read my background brainwaves, and Nigel Wells's footage gave a lighter spin, which was well colorful and endearingly fun. So, um, you, you know, I mean, I thought that was an interesting reaction as well as the audience reaction um, at, at the festival itself. As I said, I screened these five annotations first before moving into the other four films. And I paused to ask everyone, you know, for a show of hands. And just about every film got, you know, 15 to 20 fans. I, I was I was impressed, you know, that, that, that by how diverse people's tastes were you know, right there at the conference, these haiku experts, as we can assume that many to most of them are, you know, liking basically all these films. And, um, and that, that really felt validating. Well, it's convenient for me because uh, one of, like my favorite actually Hyben film from the film festival was one of the ones that was Joseph Eversano's Hyben written on it. The one by Pete Johnson that was like a super ape style film, yeah. The Gone Missing. I love that one. That was really okay. great. So I raised my hand for that one. <laughs> yeah, that's I should say too, if anybody, uh, if anyone wants to watch these, they're all linked uh, on my Twitter. Oh, this is the most recent post because Dave had posted that last night. So there's uh, nine films that are part of the Hyben Film Festival. And I encourage everybody to go watch if they haven't. It's a great case study in the ways that poems can work in video, which I know a lot of NFT poets are interested in. You know, and I think it was clear, Dave, I don't know about you, um, but the ones where um, there was sort of a, the, the film was sort of setting up a mood, I think worked the best. Um, what do you think, you know, you know where, where it was sort of a, there's sort of a cut even between the the prose that was working on and the haiku that was working on the hyben, and the uh, the what the visuals too. And so there's sort of a mood that the 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 hyben built up or the film built up that sort of matched but added to the uh, the text. Is that is that your sense of of what works best? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the, the film works with the haiku genre so well for creating, you know, creating that mood, creating a mood, um, which can be obviously quite different from the mood the, the, the author had in mind if it's a, if it's a filmmaker and author are different people. But, um, you know, and as I said in my talk, also suggesting something perhaps of the frame of mind of, of you know, because it is a deeply empathetic kind of art. I mean, the way haiku actually works is the one sort of professorial talk at the conference made clear where the guy was all talking about like Lakoff 
metaphors and whatever you know a haiku works because you know you identify at some level w w with the speaker or the things in haiku or whatever you know there are a lot of for example you know isa wrote a lot of insect focused haiku where you know you identify the reader identifies with the insect so you know the way that film can get us into the you know more into the mindset of something obviously that's 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 brilliant in a time when you know part of the part of the reason why people say that you know we should be we should be focusing on short forms in, in, in today's world is because people are so you know attention deprived and and somehow this is going and to me, that's actually, I don't know that that's the case that it may, like, if you read a haiku quickly, like, you get nothing out of it, right? You just, or, or it's, and it's so easy to do if you don't stop and think about it. Well, there are a lot of us are not necessarily contemplative, like, all the time. I don't know anyone who's contemplative all the time, but, you, you know, just reading a collection of, of, of haiku can be challenging you know it's a challenge for the publisher how many to put in a, how much white space you know how how to arrange them in the page so they talk to each other and all that kind of thing and, you know so this is the kind of exciting challenge that, that a filmmaker gets as well you know how do you how do you situate the haiku and and the high so the high boon having that boon that prose portion as an introduction or or whatever an accompaniment um really i think helps ease a typical filmmaking audience into the haiku experience because you know most films that people watch are little stories that's what we're used to it's a storytelling medium and um so a regular video poem can can be i think a bit more perhaps forbidding than it than, than a than a haiboon uh film what do you think about um like literally you know putting literally what's in the poem on the screen I was thinking about it during the festival and um, you know, it's kind of easy to do that. It's sort of what your mind jumps to doing maybe if you're a filmmaker and, and maybe there's a way that you don't want to impose outside ideas onto the text. And so, but, but a lot of times there's a long history of video poems and, and I get this goes to, to your entire work with uh, moving poems in general. But um, I, I think of it like um, we've done the ekphrastic challenge at Rattle for like 10 years and, and similar to an ekphrastic poem where you have the painting in front of you. And if you were just describing the painting, it adds nothing. It doesn't work. It has to be some kind of dance with the original piece of creation where you're adding something to, I think, to make it interesting as a film. Uh, and, and so, so adding some kind of new content, some kind of slant, some kind of new interpretation, some kind of part of your imagination seems really important. Um, do, do you find that in uh, in the poems? Because I see a lot of one of the things that turns me off from from the attempts at turning poems into video is that sort of overemphasis on the literal, and it, it feels like it adds nothing when it does that, except for sort of force your imagination into a box <laughs> that they can yes. that was put on the screen. Yes, uh, and and a, a number of some poets object to their poems. I, I should add to their poems being adapted for film you know well some people don't want any adaptation at all because their vision is their vision and that, that's perfectly fine i want to make clear you know not everyone has to be into uh, um you know collaboration remix and stuff but yes i, I couldn't agree more with with your your it, it, it is a form of of, of a crisis i think however that's pronounced um just you know uh haida or or 
you know, another Japanese word to inflict on people who might not know it, but um, haiku and art working together is, is you know, it, it, it's an important point to make. I think that this tradition goes way the hell back to the beginning of haiku. You, you know, um, poets like 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 Basho and his contemporaries um, were, were doing painting, you know, inkbrush painting that included haiku. You know, uh, Busson was as well known as a, as a painter as he is as a um as a haikuist and so forth so yeah, yeah there there's um you, you absolutely don't want to try, yeah, i mean it, it has to add something to it otherwise you know why the hell why the hell do it at all the, the film has to be itself a poem it has to make you know as as i think you know one of the reasons why i wanted to read that statement from from that reaction from from joseph is you know he, he as a filmmaker he or as a poet, he definitely got it. You know what, what these filmmakers are trying to do, and appreciates that they're adding new things to his poem that he didn't necessarily think of, but that that's great. And you know, obviously, that's one of the rewards of learning how to make video poems yourself is that you you, you know then you can you can take a poem that is basically you know you're done happy with, and you can still play with it. You know, because I think one of the reasons why a lot of people just obsessively polish their poems is because it's fun to work with stuff that you've written and know is good. But after a certain point, you do have to kind of leave it and walk away. You know, it, 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 I say, because I'm, I'm a guy with a poem day pro, uh, practice, which is another, you know, the opposite problem. But, you, you know, I, I think it's very worth it. I, I just want to suggest to anyone who, who thinks that it's too difficult to learn how to make video poetry that y there is a lot of there are a lot of online libraries of um, freely available old home movies, old commercials or, and other out of copyright material that you can work with. You don't even have to shoot film. You just have to have a, a laptop and be willing to learn some software. Um, which the software is getting more difficult to use, I will admit. But there, there are just so many exciting possibilities when you get into that ekphrastic mindset, Tim. Yeah, definitely. Well said, Dave. And um, I think maybe we have uh, you know, 15, 17 minutes left in the show. I think we should talk about variations in form a little bit. And one of the things, Katie, that I loved at the conference were the braided hyben, which is something I actually haven't seen. No one's, uh, as far as I know, submitted braided hyben before. Uh, but Roberta Beery is here, and I know Roberta has some braided hyben. Uh, Roberta, of course, is the uh, haiku editor of Modern Haiku. I mean, the hyben editor of Modern Haiku. And, um, and, and, and she's also the co-author of this hyben, a writer's guide. So, hey, Roberta, it's great to see you. And we're not getting any sound from Roberta, or at least I'm not. Yeah, I wasn't either. I saw she unmuted her mic. So maybe it'll work now, Roberta? Yeah, I think there's a problem with the mic. Well, if, um, hmm, yeah, so it's not coming. Well, I, I can read this. There's a, it's this example of a braided hyben in um, Hyben, a writer's guide. And they talk about that form. And uh, let me, Pull it up. This is a retrospection. So I'll read this and we can talk about it. But how it works um, is rather than a piece of prose with the haiku after it, the haiku is split into three lines that are with a prose split between it. So, so I'll, I have to describe it. You can't see it, but it's retrospection's the title. 
Then there's a one line of the haiku, then a little prose sentence, and then another line of a haiku, then a prose sentence, and the final line of the haiku comes last. So the haiku is mixed in with the prose. And uh, unless if we still don't have Roberta, I will just go ahead and read it. Okay, so here, this is retrospection. Dandelion Puff. She doesn't blame her husband. When he told her it was locked in the bedroom safe, the combination, their son's birthday, she didn't say, get rid of it. A wish floats. She tells the therapist what her mind holds 24-7, if their boy planted or was just playing, but not how the blood smeared the wall like grape jelly, his favorite, from lips to sky. And so the haiku is mixed in there. Dandelion puff, a wish floats from lips to sky. And so that's another way to format the thing that it makes it really fascinating to read because you sort of get that sense that it's sort of, um, to me, it feels like the universe or something or the narrator hidden beneath is whispering in your ear uh, the meaning or some deeper level um, as you're reading the prose and thinking about what the prose is talking about. And so I really like that form. It's a fascinating way to do it. There are a whole bunch of examples um, that uh, Lou Watts and others uh, presented at that uh, talk at the haiku conference. Yeah, I really love that form. It's clearly an evolution of, of what's possible because it also just, it creates more data points. It's kind of the way I look at it. So it's like when you're splitting the haiku into the three parts, it's like almost creating three monoku. So it gives further weight to each individual one. And then it creates more opportunity for more sparks in between the prose and the haiku. And also points out how different a haiku looks to prose, even when there are line breaks and how powerful it is. So I think it's a really exciting form. I mean, yeah. Were there any other uh, uh, forms that stood out to you, Katie, at the, at the, at the conference, I, 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 for me, I like the shortest sort of condensed part as possible. So I like the, the uh, interspersedness of that braided haiku or braided hyphen, and I like I, I do like the one small prose section with a haiku. I think those are my favorite type of hyphen. But there are longer forms. Um, you don't have to have prose. Is another thing that was talked about there. You can have a sonnet and then a hyphen or then a haiku and it's still a hyphen you know it's it's the mixture of whatever you want that's not haiku plus haiku uh you can also have long travel logs which we published a bunch of these in rattle we've we have one uh not too long ago from kenny tenamira on the chinese new year that was uh you know i don't know it took 10 minutes for him to read it that's how long it was and it included about a dozen haiku so that's hyphen too uh, a lot of variations on what to do yeah, I still remember that one, even though I didn't look at it in preparation for this space, I believe, with an ending about a haiku comparing people's faces to peonies, which to me brought me back to like the Ezra Pound, you know, station in the metro type feel. So that was a great poem, too. Do you want to read another another poem that you published, Tim? Um, sure. And we still don't have Roberta. Could you uh, speak yeah. to Roberta or is it not working? I'm consistently trying to add her, unfortunately. I know Roberta is probably there really trying, but it doesn't seem like it's <laughs> Yeah, I think the microphone's just not working. Yeah, she's there as a speaker, but the mic, and I think some technical thing. But anyway, yeah, I can read another one. Let's see, what should we read? Um, we all kindly have the links all right here. How about, um, let's see. Well, we were talking about experimental ones. Do you want to talk about another one by Lou Watts, which was um, not in Rattle, but it was the one that um, won the uh, Touchstone Award for Haiku last year. 
and it was based on oh i can't find it um there it is it was based on the uh the painting spatial concept waiting uh by lucio fontana which if you haven't seen it if you're not familiar with that it is a canvas that's sort of slashed across diagonally and so the the pro section of lou's hyben um, is slash has a slash going through that too with the words actually missing in as part of the slash and then the haiku comes at the end and so it's a concrete poem at the same time as it's a hyben because it, it sh visibly shows that uh that painting or the is it a painting or a i don't know what you'd call it but that canvas sliced piece spatial concept um so do you want me to read that is that a good idea katie yeah, and I would recommend too, I pinned this one to the top. So if you all want to read along with it, this is a better one to read along to, as you will see for a specific reason, if you want to go ahead and follow along with Tim, which I'm glad you're the one reading this. This is a brilliant hyphen. It really is. It's so it's so clever. And so there's a there's words missing and sections missing. So I'm gonna like have to guess or we'll see how it goes. But uh spatial concept waiting. The first time I saw it was at the Tate, and I was with you for the first time, you were so young and beautiful and your skin was perfect. Then when you asked me to go with you, I bought some books from the Salvation Army, the kind with lots of photos. So I didn't come across as, as a some kind of dick or stupid, even recognized a few puttings before reading the label. Each time I said Tist's name, you'd turn and smile. If I got wrong, made me sometimes wish I'd stitched mouth shut. And then suddenly there was a ha alone on a white wall with Bay's carved canvas slash. I could almost hear the right arm stabbing the, dragging the blade down and across through lat. Things moved on to multiple wounds and different tools, bare hands, nails, chisels, even screwdrivers. By then, I'd lost track of you. After the first scars appeared, your way of cutting off an older, deeper poo. And you said, I'm here, lost, lost, you lost. Old prison cell, the final tally mark, the deepest. So that is hard to read and works much better visually. <laughs> I'm glad you so read it. <laughs> It's, it's so fascinating to, to try and attempt it. I mean, it's sort of one of those things you want to experience over and over again. And that haiku at the end, though, we see a huge, huge leaping cut there from um, the, the space of the art gallery that we're hearing about this painting. And we're visually seeing it as the poem's constructed concretely on the page. And then this huge leap to old prison cell, the final tally mark, the deepest. And, and what a great haiku that is and how how much that adds, you know, how many layers of meaning it adds to the, the prose we were seeing um, by leaping to that far place that the, the, the prison cell tally marks. Yeah. And at the same time that it leaps really far, you can see it like, you can see the connection, of course, between the acrostic, you know, prose and then that too. It's not just like a random leap, obviously, with Hyben. It's, it's a leap that makes sense as though you can almost picture him being at the Tate which I saw this piece of art at the Tate too, and it had an impression on me. I actually took a picture of it. Of course, I'm not as smart as Lou Watts, so I didn't write a brilliant award-winning poem based on it, but I did take a picture, so we have, we have that much in common. But anyway, so you could almost see him seeing the picture as, or, or the piece of art as though it is like the haiku and then going back into his experience of, of consuming, so to speak, the art within the Tate. So really, I mean, very clear why that won a touchstone award. It's a brilliant hyphen. 
Yeah, it definitely is. Um, do you want me to uh, read another hyphen, Katie, from Rattle? Yeah, that would be great. Sure. So the one thing I want to talk to Roberta about, and it's a shame that we can't, is is the distance between the haiku and the prose section. Like, how far should that leap be? And in the Hyben Writer's Guide, they talk about there should be some kind of extension or, or sense of movement from the prose to the haiku. Uh, but to me, the bigger the leap, the better. And, and it, I think it, it's almost, almost needs it to me because it needs a, um, you know, like, like that, that excision from the narrative, that, that sort of feeling of disorientation only works if you have a leap. And so to me, it feels like there has to be a leap, but in some cases there's not. There's an example in the Hyben book where um, a, uh, it's, it's about, the prose is about a mother in, you know, sort of bundling up a son for the snow and looking at his footsteps. And then the, um, the haiku has the same snow and footsteps going on again. Uh, but there's this word again, which sort of makes it cut out of time. Um, and so even though it's sort of the same topic, you can imagine that the person, the, the writer, the speaker was thinking about it um, at one point, and then the same thing happening again, looking back in the past. So we do get a cut, a, like a leap through time. But it seems to me that there always has to be a leap. Um, but one of the ones that we published is sort of the closest that, that I could think of. So I wanted to share this and think about how close the leap can be. Um, so this is Field Glasses by Tony Burfield. It was from our tribute to librarians, and apparently librarians like Hyben because there were a few a few Hyben in the librarian section. But this is one of them, uh, Tony Burfield, Field Glasses. The red-roofed cabin we can see from our windows across the valley. Sometimes there are mule deer in the yard. One time we saw a big mama black bear and cubs sniff the whole perimeter of the cabin. There's a fence that the deer easily jump over. The bears somehow, like a big black, putties flatten out incredibly and shimmied underneath it. They emerged on the other side, did a little shake, and continued sniffing toward the road. Field glasses. I bring them down and back up again. And so again, I think there, even though it's the same topic, like we're looking at the, the bears through field glasses, and there's a sense of being sort of close to them while, while you're looking through the glasses and you, you put them down, not, and doing that over and over again for that feeling of distance and connection too that happens when you read the haiku um, or you experience that, that you know, nature from a distance like that. But at the same time, it still has this excision from the narrative itself because it could be doing those, you know, doing that motion with the field glasses anytime. So it's the same thing as the Basho's ancient pond where the ancient pond lasts forever um, in this sort of timeless space, the field glasses are kind of moving up and down in that timeless space, um, whereas this the story is one time where we had that experience. And so there's a to me, there's a distance between that. but but I think that's as close as you can get to me. and i would I wanted to know from Roberta if she thought that you could get even closer, but uh, it's too and we can't talk. But what is I don't know if anybody has any opinions on that. can you can you get closer without can you have one without a big without a big cut in time or space? This discussion is just making me realize that so much what I love is that contrast, too, between I like the prose to be very close up to the subject at hand and really looking at the minutia of something, and then the haiku to zoom out as though you're on a train that's going backwards really, really fast, and suddenly you can see the whole world kind of going from the specific of the prose to uh, the general as reached from the specific, but still through, throughout and, that, and that's what the strength is. It's, it allows you to see really close up, first in part through the title usually, and then through the prose, and then the haiku takes you to a much zoomed out place uh, within the same subject. 
Katie, you mentioned you had a copy of, of Joseph's, uh, Joseph Iversano's iPhone handy. I wonder, it, that seems like it would really illustrate the, the point you guys are making here. I do. I do have it. Do you think he's okay with me reading it? I tweeted it to him and asked if I could, but then I felt like, I, I, do you, if you think it's okay that I read it, I would love to read it. I do have it. I'm sure. I'm sure he'd be delighted. Okay. So this is the Hyben that half of the people that were picked to be in the Hyben Film Festival at Haiku North America chose to make their film after, which is a pretty short Hyben. So it's by Joseph Aversano, who is here with us today. So I won't be too nervous reading his Hyben <laughs> to him. But here we go. It's called The Gone Missing. It happens all the time. I point, then say, I'm going up towards there. And being less determined than bewitched, I go at once, and without the proper footwear, and without telling anyone, other than the ones who would come, ones who would never think to call me back. The act in its cataract self. So that one closes with a monocou also, which is really interesting as well. And, and you're right, Dave, I can really sense that the pulling back, and maybe that's part of what drew so many people to make their hyphen film after this particular one. Yeah, I love that line uh, without the proper footwear. Every time I hear that, I, I um, I'm reminded about that's really the key to the whole poem, and it's because there's such a strong visual with that. You know, there's a great example just outside of uh, any kind of you know Japanese forms that 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 precise specific specific image is so powerful because <laughs> you know you see the feet, and uh, that's just a strong line. It's actually like almost a, a an a cliche as an image in video poetry, there's a shot of like feet, usually bare feet, like walking through the woods or whatever. It's like the most common, I swear to God, the most common shot in, in a video poem. But it, it, it it's maybe interesting to ask why, you know, that connection, that physical connection with the earth is, is incredibly important to the art form of, of haiku, but poetry in general as well. Maybe it's also an easy way to get the speaker in if you're doing the video poem all by yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Um, I think it was Caitlin Buxbaum who asked if there's any recommendations for uh, for books of um, or haiku and haiben. And I mean, we have this book, Haiben, a Writer's Guide, which just came out from by Roberta Berry, Lou Watts, and Rich Yeoman's. Um, as far as haiku, I, I really love these um, haiku 2023 book that I got. Um, at the conference from Modern Haiku Press. It's sort of like the best American haiku, but for, or, you know, best American poetry, but for haiku. Um, and I love the the content there. So those are two I would recommend. Um, do you have any books you'd recommend, Dave, uh, for Hyman? Is there a favorite book of Hyman? Dave, of course, has a book of Hyman called Failed State. But beside yourself, Dave, is there anything you'd recommend? Well, uh, you, you know, I, I, I'm drawing a blank, and, and I was uh, ho hoping you wouldn't. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I tend to, uh, I do tend to, as a, as a professional poor person, like I will spend my money on individual collections rather than anthologies, which is a bit of a problem with anthology recommendation is clearly what's what's needed here. Um, but, uh, and, and yeah, yeah, go ahead, Katie. Oh, I was just interrupting you to say maybe your book is the only book on Hyben anybody needs, Failed State. Maybe <laughs> that's why you can't hear that. That is absolutely not what I'm getting at. It is funny to think of that. I mean, I'm sure they exist. 
but I, you know, I have so many books and so many books come across my desk and I can't remember a book of uh, an anthology of only Hyben or, um, or even a book besides Dave's that's just Hyben. I'm there sure they are, exist. There, I think Penny, Penny Harder has one. I think Penny Harder mentioned she has a Hyben book that just came out. And actually, she's going to be a guest in the Rattlecast coming up, I think. I invited her when she told me that. So uh, we have that. I'm sure there are a bunch, but it's just not something that, that I've, uh, that's come across my desk, actually. I'm sitting up in the woods for, for better internet, which is frustrating to me because I have a whole stack of, of, of books that I picked up at the conference that, that I could just, you know, half of them try them, but oh well. <laughs> well, we're coming up on time. Uh, Katie, I think we should close out with your Hyden, which we haven't read yet, and I think it's a great way to end it. Do you have it with you? I do have my own hyphen with me, which may be pronounced hyboon. There's some controversy. I think Dave is probably correct. <laughs> I'll learn, right? So first I had to learn that there's not an S on haiku, and now I'm learning how to pronounce hyboon. And I will get it right by the end of time. And next time I'll take another Japanese form and make a similar error for you guys. But... I think the problem is it's a, it's a phoneme that we don't actually use. I think it's like between okay. un and un. It's like un. But <laughs> it's we don't hard. Actually it's more fun to say. Hi, boon. It's very fun to say. Plus, people are tweeting me like, you're pronouncing it wrong. So, <laughs> regardless, I may be pronouncing it wrong, but I did get one published in Frog Pond. Oh. <laughs> Which I haven't, so you got that on me for sure. <laughs> All right. So, uh, this was called... Your seat cushion may be used as a flotation device. Back then, we had to dress up to fly standby, sometimes winding up in first class, my sister and me in tights, pretending we might belong among the crystal salt and pepper shakers. I knew how to open a bulkhead tray table at nine without anyone ever having paid a fare for me, learned the endless loop of smiling and the power of saying yes, please. A play within a play, Ars Poetica. And I wrote that one while on a plane, I have to say, in case that adds another layer to you guys. And it was definitely, um, it just kind of came out, even with the haiku. Normally, I kind of pause after writing the prose section and, and think about it. But for some reason, that one just flew out, I guess, looking for the airplane pun to be furthered. I flew out of me. And so that one was very fun to write about my lucky days uh, flying standby, thanks to my mom being the best flight attendant in the entire world, who is also in the audience right now. So thanks, mom. <laughs> uh, that's a great one. And it's, you know, they do all, you know, the best poems fly out. So that makes perfect sense. It's another thing I'd, I'd love to talk to somebody about who writes a lot of high is how often they mix and match, you know, and take an old haiku and slap it onto prose and add to the hyphen or whether or not they come out in one sitting often. But, uh, but we're out of time for hyphen. It's a great topic. Really glad we got to talk about it today. Um, do you want to reveal next week's topic, Katie? I would love to. I, I think, yeah, we have so much to talk about with Hyben too that I think, you know, it's going to be a good one to repeat in the future uh, to delve more into the other parts we didn't quite get into. But next week, we're going to be looking at enjambment. So we're going to really, really dial in and look at the nitty gritty, which I'm excited about because I love studying very specific aspects of poetry. So that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, you've been known to enjam the fuck out of things, so I've... <laughs> <laughs> I do. I'm so embarrassed at the poetry reading when I had to read it, and I enjam the fuck out of lines. But I do, guys. I love to. It's true. So <laughs> there we are. Thank well, so I want to say, if anybody has any examples, start thinking about it now, because it's a little bit harder a topic to remember examples, because I remember a lot of poems 
that uh, had, I thought at the time had great line breaks, but then remembering which ones they were might be difficult. So if you can think of examples throughout the week, uh, please share them yeah. on Twitter so yeah. we can have a bunch to talk about next week. Yeah, definitely. We're going to be looking next week to have the kind of space that's a little bit more traditional in the poetry space where it is, you know, if you tweet your poems at me in advance that you're interested in, in reading other people's poems primarily, uh, then we can look at having you read if you're interested in reading the other poems that for you exemplify great enjambment or terrible enjambment, I guess. <laughs> Sorry to keep these spaces rather positive, but I suppose if there's one with awful enjambment, uh, that would work too as an example of not what to do, what not to do. So I want to thank everybody for coming to the poetry space today, especially Dave Bonta for really enlightening us and sharing some more about, I really, I was excited about the Hyben Film Festival before the conference. And then once we were there, it was just really amazing. I think it has such implications for NFTs and, and, and such potential. And it makes me want to make my own video poems specifically after you said that it wasn't that hard. So that's great news too. So thanks to everybody who tuned in and asked questions and especially to Dave Bonta for joining us. Yeah, thanks, David. Thanks, everybody. It's been a lot of fun. Bye. See you next Bye -bye. week. Bye-bye.